Preface to the Portrait of a Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford, Middlebury, Vermont, USA. The Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. Preface. The Portrait of a Lady was, like Roderick Hudson, begun in Florence, during three months spent there in the spring of 1879. Like Roderick, and like the American, it had been designed for publication in the Atlantic Monthly, where it began to appear in 1880. It differed from its two predecessors, however, in finding a course also open to it from month to month in Macmillan's magazine, which was to be for me one of the last occasions of simultaneous serialization in the two countries that the changing conditions of literary intercourse between England and the United States had up to then left unaltered. It is a long novel, and I was long in writing it. I remember being again much occupied with it the following year, during a stay of several weeks made in Venice. I had rooms on the Riva Schiavoni, at the top of a house near the passage leading off to San Zaccaria. The waterside life, the wondrous lagoon spread before me, and the ceaseless human chatter of Venice came in at my windows, to which I seemed to myself to have been constantly driven, in the fruitless fidget of composition, as if to see whether, out in the blue channel, the ship of some right suggestion, of some better phrase, of the next happy twist of my subject, the next true touch for my canvas, mightn't come into sight. But I recall vividly enough that the response most elicited in general to these restless appeals was the rather grim admonition that romantic and historic sites, such as the land of Italy abounds in, offer the artist a questionable aid to concentration when they themselves are not to be the subject of it. They are too rich in their own life, and too charged with their own meaning, merely to help him out with a lame phrase. They draw him away from his small question to their own greater ones, so that after a little he feels, while thus yearning toward them in his difficulty, as if he were asking an army of glorious veterans to help him to arrest a peddler who has given him the wrong change. There are pages of the book which, in the reading over, have seemed to make me see again the bristling curve of the wide riva, the large colour spots of the balconied houses, and the repeated undulation of the little hunchbacked bridges, marked by the rise and drop again, with the wave of foreshortened clicking pedestrians. The Venetian footfall and the Venetian cry all talk there, wherever uttered, having the pitch of a call across the water, come in once more at the window, renewing one's old impression of the delighted senses and the divided, frustrated mind. How can places that speak in general so to the imagination not give it at the moment the particular thing it wants? I recollect again and again in beautiful places dropping into that wonderment. The real truth is, I think, that they express under this appeal only too much, more than, in the given case, one has use for so that one finds oneself working less congruously, after all, so far as the surrounding picture is concerned than in the presence of the moderate and the neutral, to which we may lend something of the light of our vision. Such a place as Venice is too proud for such charities. 
venice doesn't borrow she but all magnificently gives we profit by that enormously but to do so we must either be quite off duty or be on it in her service alone such and so rueful are these reminiscences though on the whole no doubt one's book and one's literary effort at large were to be the better for them strangely fertilizing in the long run does a wasted effort of attention often prove it all depends on how the attention has been cheated has been squandered there are high-handed insolent frauds and there are insidious sneaking ones and there is i fear even on the most designing artist's part always witless enough good faith always anxious enough to desire to fail to guard him against their deceits trying to recover here for recognition the germ of my idea i see that it must have consisted not at all in any conceit of a plot nefarious name in any flash upon the fancy of a set of relations or in any one of those situations that by a logic of their own immediately fall for the fabulist into movement into a march or a rush a patter of quick steps but altogether in the sense of a single character the character and aspect of a particularly engaging young woman to which all the usual elements of a subject certainly of a setting were to need to be superadded quite as interesting as the young woman herself at her best do i find i must again repeat this projection of memory upon the whole matter of the growth in one's imagination of some such apology for a motive these are the fascinations of the fabulist's art these lurking forces of expansion these necessities of upspringing in the seed these beautiful determinations on the part of the idea entertained to grow as tall as possible to push into the light and the air and thickly flower there and quite as much these fine possibilities of recovering from some good standpoint on the ground gained the intimate history of the business of retracing and reconstructing its steps and stages i have always fondly remembered a remark that i heard fall years ago from the lips of ivan turgenev in regard to his own experience of the usual origin of the fictive picture it began for him almost always with the vision of some person or persons who hovered before him soliciting him as the active or passive figure interesting him and appealing to him just as they were and by what they were he saw them in that fashion as disponible saw them subject to the chances the complications of existence and saw them vividly but then had to find for them the right relations those that would most bring them out to imagine to invent and select and piece together the situations most useful and favourable to the sense of the creatures themselves the complications that they would be most likely to produce and to feel to arrive at these things is to arrive at my story he said and that's the way i look for it the result is that i'm often accused of not having story enough i seem to myself to have as much as i need to show my people to exhibit their relations with each other for that is all my measure if i watch them long enough i see them come together i see them placed i see them engaged in this or that act and in this or that difficulty how they look and move and speak and behave always in the setting i have found for them is my account of them 
of which i dare say alas que cela manque souvent d'architecture but i would rather i think have too little architecture than too much when there's danger of its interfering with my measure of the truth the french of course like more of it than i give having by their own genius such a hand for it and indeed one must give all one can as for the origin of one's wind-blown germs themselves who shall say as you ask where they come from we have to go too far back too far behind to say isn't it all we can say that they come from every quarter of heaven that they are there at almost any turn of the road they accumulate and we are always picking them over selecting among them they are the breath of life by which i mean that life in its own way breathes them upon us they are so in a manner prescribed and imposed floated into our minds by the current of life that reduces to imbecility the vain critic's quarrel so often with one subject when he hasn't the wit to accept it will he point out then which other it should properly have been his office being essentially to point out il en serait bien embarrassé ah when he points out what i've done or failed to do with it that's another matter there he's on his ground i give him up my architecture my distinguished friend concluded as much as he will so this beautiful genius and i recall with comfort the gratitude i drew from his reference to the intensity of suggestion that may reside in the stray figure the unattached character the image en disponibilité it gave me higher warrant than i seemed then to have met for just that blessed habit of one's own imagination the trick of investing some conceived or encountered individual some brace or group of individuals with the germinal property and authority i was myself so much more antecedently conscious of my figures than of their setting a too preliminary a preferential interest in which struck me as in general such a putting of the cart before the horse i might envy though i couldn't emulate the imaginative writer so constituted as to see his fable first and to make out its agents afterwards i could think so little of any fable that didn't need its agents positively to launch it i could think so little of any situation that didn't depend for its interest on the nature of the person situated and thereby on their way of taking it there are methods of so-called presentation i believe among novelists who have appeared to flourish that offer the situation as indifferent to that support but i have not lost the sense of the value for me at the time of the admirable russian's testimony to my not needing all superstitiously to try and perform any such gymnastic other echoes from the same source linger with me i confess as unfadingly if it be not all indeed one much embracing echo it was impossible after that not to read for one's uses high lucidity into the tormented and disfigured and bemuddled question of the objective value and even quite into that of the critical appreciation of subject in the novel one had had from an early time for that matter the instinct of the right estimate of such values and of its reducing to the inane the dull dispute over the immoral subject and the moral recognizing so promptly the one measure of the worth of a given subject the question about it that rightly answered disposes of all others 
is it valid in a word is it genuine is it sincere the result of some direct impression or perception of life i had found small edification mostly in a critical pretension that had neglected from the first all delimitation of ground and all definition of terms the air of my earlier time shows to memory as darkened all round with that vanity unless the difference to-day be just in one's own final impatience the lapse of one's own attention there is i think no more nutritive or suggestive truth in this connection than that of the perfect dependence of the moral sense of a work of art on the amount of felt life concerned in producing it the question comes back thus obviously to the kind and the degree of the artist's prime sensibility which is the soil out of which his subject springs the quality and capacity of that soil its ability to grow with due freshness and straightness any vision of life represents strongly or weakly the projected morality that element is but another name for the more or less close connection of the subject with some mark made on the intelligence with some sincere experience by which at the same time of course one is far from contending that this enveloping air of the artist's humanity which gives the last touch to the worth of the work is not a widely and wondrously varying element being on one occasion a rich and magnificent medium and on another a comparatively poor and ungenerous one here we get exactly the high price of the novel as a literary form its power not only while preserving that form with closeness to range through all the differences of the individual relation to its general subject matter all the varieties of outlook on life of disposition to reflect and project created by conditions that are never the same from man to man or so far as that goes from man to woman but positively to appear more true to its character in proportion as it strains or tends to burst with a latent extravagance its mould the house of fiction has in short not one window but a million a number of possible windows not to be reckoned rather every one of which has been pierced or is still pierceable in its vast front by the need of the individual vision and by the pressure of the individual will these apertures of dissimilar shape and size hang so altogether over the human scene that we might have expected of them a greater sameness of report than we find they are but windows at the best mere holes in a dead wall disconnected perched aloft they are not hinged doors opening straight upon life but they have this mark of their own that at each of them stands a figure with a pair of eyes or at least with a field-glass which forms again and again for observation a unique instrument ensuring to the person making use of it an impression distinct from every other he and his neighbours are watching the same show but one seeing more where the other sees less one seeing black where the other sees white one seeing big where the other sees small one seeing coarse where the other sees fine and so on and so on there is fortunately no saying on what for the particular pair of eyes the window may not open fortunately by reason precisely of this incalculability of range the spreading field the human scene is the choice of subject 
the pierced aperture either broad or balconied or slit-like and low-browed is the literary form but they are singly or together as nothing without the posted presence of the watcher without in other words the consciousness of the artist tell me what the artist is and i will tell you of what he has been conscious thereby i shall express to you at once his boundless freedom and his moral reference all this is a long way round however for my word about my first dim move toward the portrait which was exactly my grasp of a single character an acquisition i had made moreover after a fashion not to be here retraced enough that i was as seemed to me in complete possession of it that i had been so for a long time that this had made it familiar and yet had not blurred its charm and that all urgently all tormentingly i saw it in motion and so to speak in transit this amounts to saying that i saw it as bent upon its fate some fate or other which among the possibilities being precisely the question thus i had my vivid and individual vivid so strangely in spite of being still at large not confined by the conditions not engaged in the tangle to which we look from much of the impress that constitutes an identity if the apparition was still all to be placed how came it to be vivid since we puzzled such quantities out mostly just by the business of placing them one could answer such a question beautifully doubtless if one could do so subtle if not so monstrous a thing as to write the history of the growth of one's imagination one would describe then what at a given time had extraordinarily happened to it and one would so for instance be in a position to tell with an approach to clearness how under favour of occasion it had been able to take over take over straight from life such and such a constituted animated figure or form the figure has to that extent as you see been placed placed in the imagination that detains it preserves protects enjoys it conscious of its presence in the dusky crowded heterogeneous back-shop of the mind very much as a wary dealer in precious odds and ends competent to make an advance on rare objects confided to him is conscious of the rare little piece left in deposit by the reduced mysterious lady of title or the speculative amateur and which is already there to disclose its merit afresh as soon as the key shall have clicked in a cupboard door that may be i recognize a somewhat superfine analogy for the particular value i here speak of the image of the young feminine nature that i had had for so considerable a time all curiously at my disposal but it appears to fond memory quite to fit the fact with the recall in addition of my pious desire but to place my treasure right i quite remind myself thus of the dealer resigned not to realize resigned to keeping the precious object locked up indefinitely rather than commit it at no matter what price to vulgar hands for there are dealers in these forms and figures and treasures capable of that refinement the point is however that this single small cornerstone the conception of a certain young woman affronting her destiny had begun with being all my outfit for the large building of the portrait of a lady it came to be a square and spacious house 
or has at least seemed so to me in this going over it again but such as it is it had to be put up round my young woman while she stood there in perfect isolation that is to me artistically speaking the circumstance of interest for i have lost myself once more i confess in the curiosity of analysing the structure by what process of logical accretion was the slight personality the mere slim shade of an intelligent but presumptuous girl to find itself endowed with the high attributes of a subject and indeed by what thinness at the best would such a subject not be vitiated millions of presumptuous girls intelligent or not intelligent daily affront their destiny and what is it open to their destiny to be at the most that we should make an ado about it the novel is of its very nature an ado an ado about something and the larger the form it takes the greater of course the ado therefore consciously that was what one was in for for positively organizing an ado about isabel archer one looked it well in the face i seem to remember this extravagance and with the effect precisely of recognizing the charm of the problem challenge any such problem with any intelligence and you immediately see how full it is of substance the wonder being all the while as we look at the world how absolutely how inordinately the isabel archers and even much smaller female fry insist on mattering george eliot has admirably noted it in these frail vessels is borne onward through the ages the treasure of human affection in romeo and juliet juliet has to be important just as in adam bede and the mill on the floss and middlemarch and daniel deronda hetty sorrel and maggie tulliver and rosamond vincey and gwendolen harleth have to be with that much of firm ground that much of bracing air at the disposal all the while of their feet and their lungs they are typical none the less of a class difficult in the individual case to make a centre of interest so difficult in fact that many an expert painter as for instance dickens and walter scott as for instance even in the main so subtle a hand as that of r l stevenson has preferred to leave the task unattempted there are in fact writers as to whom we make out that their refuge from this is to assume it be not worth their attempting by which pusillanimity in truth their honour is scantly saved it is never an attestation of a value or even of our imperfect sense of one it is never a tribute to any truth at all that we shall represent that value badly it never makes up artistically for an artist's dim feeling about a thing that he shall do the thing as ill as possible there are better ways than that the best of all of which is to begin with less stupidity it may be answered meanwhile in regard to shakespeare's and to george eliot's testimony that their concession to the importance of their juliets and cleopatras and portias even with portia as the very type and model of the young person intelligent and presumptuous and to that of their hetties and maggies and rosamonds and gwendolens suffers the abatement that these slimnesses are when figuring as the main props of the theme never suffered to be sole ministers of its appeal 
but have their inadequacy eked out with comic relief and underplots as the playwrights say when not with murders and battles and the great mutations of the world if they are shown as mattering as much as they could possibly pretend to the proof of it is in a hundred other persons made of much stouter stuff and each involved moreover in a hundred relations which matter to them concomitantly with that one cleopatra matters beyond bounds to antony but his colleagues his antagonists the state of rome and the impending battle also prodigiously matter portia matters to antonio and to shylock and to the prince of morocco to the fifty aspiring princes but for these gentry there are other lively concerns for antonio notably there are shylock and bassanio and his lost ventures and the extremity of his predicament this extremity indeed by the same togan matters to portia though its doing so becomes of interest all by the fact that portia matters to us that she does so at any rate and that almost everything comes round to it again supports my contention as to this fine example of the value recognized in the mere young thing i say mere young thing because i guess that even shakespeare preoccupied mainly though he may have been with the passions of princes would scarce have pretended to found the best of his appeal for her on her high social position it is an example exactly of the deep difficulty braved the difficulty of making george eliot's frail vessel if not the all in all for our attention at least the clearest of the call now to see deep difficulty braved is at any time for the really addicted artist to feel almost even as a pang the beautiful incentive and to feel it verily in such sort as to wish the danger intensified the difficulty most worth tackling can only be for him in these conditions the greatest the case permits of so i remember feeling here in presence always that is of the particular uncertainty of my ground that there would be one way better than another oh ever so much better than any other of making it fight out its own battle the frail vessel that charged with george eliot's treasure and thereby of such importance to those who curiously approach it has likewise possibilities of importance to itself possibilities which permit of treatment and in fact peculiarly required from the moment they are considered at all there is always the escape from any close account of the weak agent of such spells by using as a bridge for evasion for retreat and flight the view of her relation to those surrounding her make it predominantly a view of their relation and the trick is played you give the general sense of her effect and you give it so far as the raising on it of a superstructure goes with the maximum of ease well i recall perfectly how little in my now quite established connection the maximum of ease appealed to me and how i seemed to get rid of it by an honest transposition of the weights in the two scales place the centre of the subject in the young woman's own consciousness i said to myself and you get as interesting and as beautiful a difficulty as you could wish stick to that for the centre put the heaviest weight into that scale which will be so large the scale of her relation to herself 
make her only interested enough at the same time in the things that are not herself and this relation needn't fear to be too limited place meanwhile in the other scale the lighter weight which is usually the one that tips the balance of interest press least hard in short on the consciousness of your heroine's satellites especially the male make it an interest contributive only to the greater one see at all events what can be done in this way what better field could there be for a due ingenuity the girl hovers inextinguishable as a charming creature and the job will be to translate her into the highest terms of that formula and as nearly as possible moreover into all of them to depend upon her and her little concerns wholly to see you through will necessitate remember your really doing her so far i reasoned and it took nothing less than that technical rigour i now easily see to inspire me with the right confidence for erecting on such a plot of ground the neat and careful and proportioned pile of bricks that arches over it and that was thus to form constructionally speaking a literary monument such is the aspect that to-day the portrait wears for me a structure reared with an architectural competence as turgenev would have said that makes it to the author's own sense the most proportioned of his productions after the ambassadors which was to follow it so many years later and which has no doubt a superior roundness on one thing i was determined that though i should clearly have to pile brick upon brick for the creation of an interest i would leave no pretext for saying that anything is out of line scale or perspective i would build large in fine embossed vaults and painted arches as who should say and yet never let it appear that the chequered pavement the ground under the reader's feet fails to stretch at every point to the base of the walls that precautionary spirit on reperusal of the book is the old note that most touches me it testifies so for my own ear to the anxiety of my provision for the reader's amusement i felt in view of the possible limitations of my subject that no such provision could be excessive and the development of the latter was simply the general form of that earnest quest and i find indeed that this is the only account i can give myself of the evolution of the fable it is all under the head thus named that i conceive the needful accretion as having taken place the right complications as having started it was naturally of the essence that the young woman should be herself complex that was rudimentary or was at any rate the light in which isabel archer had originally dawned it went however but a certain way and other lights contending conflicting lights and of as many different colours if possible as the rockets the roman candles and catherine wheels of a pyrotechnic display would be employable to attest that she was i had no doubt a groping instinct for the right complications since i am quite unable to track the footsteps of those that constitute as the case stands the general situation exhibited they are there for what they are worth and as numerous as might be but my memory i confess is a blank as to how and whence they came i seem to myself to have waked up one morning in possession of them of ralph touchett and his parents of madame merle of gilbert osmond and his daughter and his sister 
of Lord Warburton, Caspar Goodwood, and Miss Stackpole, the definite array of contributions to Isabel Archer's history. I recognized them, I knew them, they were the numbered pieces of my puzzle, the concrete terms of my plot. It was as if they had simply, by an impulse of their own, floated into my ken, and all in response to my primary question, well, what will she do? Their answer seemed to be that if I would trust them, they would show me, on which, with an urgent appeal to them to make it at least as interesting as they could, I trusted them. They were like the group of attendants and entertainers who come down by train when people in the country give a party. They represented the contract for carrying the party on. That was an excellent relation with them, a possible one even with so broken a reed, from her slightness of cohesion, as Henrietta Stackpole. It is a familiar truth to the novelist, at the strenuous hour, that as certain elements in any work are of the essence, so others are only of the form, that as this or that character, this or that disposition of the material, belongs to the subject directly, so to speak, so this or that other belongs to it, but indirectly, belongs intimately to the treatment. This is a truth, however, of which he rarely gets the benefit, since it could be assured to him really, but by criticism based upon perception, criticism which is too little of this world. He must not think of benefits, moreover, I freely recognize, for that way dishonor lies. He has, that is, but one to think of, the benefit, whatever it may be, involved in his having cast a spell upon the simpler, the very simplest forms of attention. This is all he is entitled to. He is entitled to nothing, he is bound to admit, that can come to him from the reader as a result of the latter's part of any act of reflection or discrimination. He may enjoy this finer tribute, that is another affair, but on condition only of taking it as a gratuity thrown in, a mere miraculous windfall, the fruit of a tree he may not pretend to have shaken. Against reflection, against discrimination, in his interest, all earth and air conspire. Wherefore it is that, as I say, he must in many a case have schooled himself, from the first to work but for a living wage. The living wage is the reader's grant of the least possible quantity of attention required for consciousness of a spell. The occasional charming tip is an act of his intelligence over and beyond this, a golden apple for the writer's lap, straight from the wind-stirred tree. The artist may, of course, in wanton moods, dream of some paradise, for art, where the direct appeal to the intelligence might be legalized, for to such extravagances as these his yearning mind can scarce hope ever completely to close itself. The most he can do is to remember that they are extravagances all of which is perhaps but a gracefully devious way of saying that Henrietta Stackpole was a good example, in the portrait, of the truth to which I just adverted, as good an example as I could name were it not that Maria Gostry, in The Ambassadors, then in the bosom of time, may be mentioned as a better. Each of these persons is but wheels to the coach, neither belongs to the body of that vehicle, or is for a moment accommodated with a seat inside. 
there the subject alone is ensconced in the form of its hero and heroine and of the privileged high officials say who ride with the king and queen there are reasons why one would have liked this to be felt as in general one would like almost anything to be felt in one's work that one has self contributively felt we have seen however how idle is that pretension which i should be sorry to make too much of maria gostrey and miss stackpole then are cases each of the light ficelle not of the true agent they may run beside the coach for all they are worth they may cling to it till they are out of breath as poor miss stackpole also visibly does but neither all the while so much as gets her foot on the step neither ceases for a moment to tread the dusty road put it even that they are like the fishwives who helped to bring back to paris from versailles on that most ominous day of the first half of the french revolution the carriage of the royal family the only thing is that i may well be asked i acknowledged why then in the present fiction i have suffered henrietta of whom we have indubitably too much so officiously so strangely so almost inexplicably to pervade i will presently say what i can for that anomaly and in the most conciliatory fashion a point i wish still more to make is that if my relation of confidence with the actors in my drama who were unlike miss stackpole true agents was an excellent one to have arrived at there still remained my relation with the reader which was another affair altogether and as to which i felt no one to be trusted but myself that solicitude was to be accordingly expressed in the artful patience with which as i have said i piled brick upon brick the bricks for the whole counting over putting for bricks little touches and inventions and enhancements by the way affect me in truth as well-nigh innumerable and as ever so scrupulously fitted together and packed in it is an effective detail of the minutest though if one were in this connection to say all one would express the hope that the general the ampler air of the modest monument still survives i do at least seem to catch the key to a part of this abundance of small anxious ingenious illustration as i recollect putting my finger in my young woman's interest on the most obvious of her predicates what will she do why the first thing she'll do will be to come to europe which in fact will form and all inevitably no small part of her principal adventure coming to europe is even for the frail vessels in this wonderful age a mild adventure but what is truer than that on one side the side of their independence of flood and field of the moving accident of battle and murder and sudden death her adventures are to be mild without her sense of them her sense for them as one may say they are next to nothing at all but isn't the beauty and the difficulty just in showing their mystic conversion by that sense conversion into the stuff of drama or even more delightful words still of story it was all as clear my contention as a silver bell two very good instances i think of this effect of conversion two cases of the rare chemistry are the pages in which isabel coming into the drawing-room at garden court coming in from a wet walk or whatever that rainy afternoon finds madame merle in possession of the place 
Madame Merle seated, all absorbed, but all serene, at the piano, and deeply recognizes, in the striking of such an hour, in the presence there, among the gathering shades of this personage, of whom a moment before she had never so much as heard, a turning point in her life. It is dreadful to have too much, for any artistic demonstration, to dot one's eyes and insist on one's intentions, and I am not eager to do it now. But the question here was that of producing the maximum of intensity with the minimum of strain. The interest was to be raised to its pitch, and yet the elements to be kept in their key, so that should the whole thing duly impress, I might show what an exciting inward life may do for the person leading it, even while it remains perfectly normal and I cannot think of a more consistent application of that ideal unless it be in the long statement, just beyond the middle of the book, of my young woman's extraordinary meditative vigil on the occasion that was to become for her such a landmark. Reduced to its essence, it is but the vigil of searching criticism, but it throws the action further forward than twenty incidents might have done. It was designed to have all the vivacity of incident and all the economy of picture. She sits up by her dying fire, far into the night, under the spell of recognitions on which she finds the last sharpness suddenly wait. It is a representation simply of her motionlessly seeing, and an attempt withal to make the mere still lucidity of her act as interesting as the surprise of a caravan or the identification of a pirate. It represents, for that matter, one of the identifications dear to the novelist and even indispensable to him, but it all goes on without her being approached by another person and without her leaving her chair. It is obviously the best thing in the book, but it is only a supreme illustration of the general plan. As to Henrietta, my apology for whom I just left incomplete, she exemplifies, I fear, in her superabundance, not an element of my plan, but only an excess of my zeal. So early was to begin my tendency to over-treat, rather than under-treat, when there was choice or danger, my subject. Many members of my craft, I gather, are far from agreeing with me, but I have always held over-treating the minor disservice. Treating, that of the portrait, amounted to never forgetting by any lapse that the thing was under a special obligation to be amusing. There was the danger of the noted thinness which was to be averted tooth and nail by the cultivation of the lively. That is at least how I see it today. Henrietta must have been at that time a part of my wonderful notion of the lively. And then there was another matter. I had within the few preceding years come to live in London, and the international light lay, in those days, to my sense, thick and rich upon the scene. It was the light in which so much of the picture hung. But that is another matter. There is really too much to say. Henry James End of Preface